We have an anchor that keeps the soul steady. The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught a lot of very important principles. One of which is simply to lay up treasure in heaven. So I want to read for you what Jesus said. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One of the real challenges in life is focusing on things that are truly important. There are so many things in life that captivate our attention. We are pulled and tugged in so many different directions. Sometimes if we're not, if we're not really careful, we can accentuate things that are transitory in life. And we get so caught up in what I would call the here and now that we forget about what lies ahead. So what Jesus is saying is, look, we need to anchor ourselves to things which have an eternal value. And that can be very tough because the world says it's all about today. One of the things that really stood out when we were in Jamaica last week was this idea of living for today. And I, I guess as I looked around and observed the comings and goings of people and watched the lifestyle of those who lived on that island, the thing that really struck me was how their mentality, somewhat like America, and that is, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. It's all about today. And what Jesus is saying is, there's something better than just today. So I want to call your attention to Matthew chapter 6 as we think about laying up treasures in heaven. I want to begin by first of all talking about the folly of earthly treasure. Now treasure could be any number of things. It could have to do with wealth, prosperity. It could also encompass any and everything that could fall under the heading of the world. Anything that would come between us and living for God. And you know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, that there is a tendency among some to try to serve two masters. And Jesus said, look, you can't serve two masters. It's just not possible. So what about the folly of earthly treasure? There are some factors or principles, I think, that stand out. And sometimes it's good for us to think about what this world has to offer and what the world is selling because the world is selling us a bill of goods. Not everything in the world is bad. Not everything is intrinsically evil. But there are some things that will capture 
our attention and cause us to lose sight of what's really important. So what Jesus is saying is you need to understand something. And that is the folly of earthly treasure. So what about these principles or factors? The first would be what I call the subversive factor. And that is sometimes earthly treasures can subvert our focus in life. Now think about that for a minute. The world is enticing and the world is pulling at us and alluring us from any and every side. And what the Bible says is, if we're not careful, the things of this world, the treasures, so to speak, of this world can subvert or supplant our focus. So what about the focus of a Christian? If somebody were to ask you, okay, sum up what it's like to live on planet Earth in light of the hope that you have before you. I think about it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus said that we're to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I think about the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the saints in Philippi. And he said, our citizenship is in heaven, whence also, he said, we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Or in Colossians chapter 3, when he said, if you've been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. What the world tries to impose upon us is to just think about here and now. It's all about today. And you remember in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, Paul talked about those who were minding earthly things. It's all about earthly treasure. Jesus asked an important question on one occasion. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, there are some people that are bartering with the world, the world's goods. And what Jesus is saying is, look, if you focus solely on the things of this world, and you trade your soul for what the world has to offer, you made a terrible transaction in life. The world can't satisfy you. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. So I think, first of all, the world, earthly treasures can be subversive. Subversive to our focus in life. Then secondly, subversive to our faith in life. Paul said we walk by faith and not by sight. One of the real difficulties in life is walking by faith because the tendency is to walk by sight. So what about subverting our faith? Do you remember in 1 Timothy chapter 6 when Paul said those who are minded to be rich fall into a temptation and snare? He said into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in perdition. And then he said, The love of money is the root of all evil, which some men, having reached after, have pierced themselves through with many sorrows and been led astray from the faith. All he's saying is that if we allow the world to dictate and control how we think and how we operate, and if we buy into this worldly system, then it's possible that we throw our faith to the side that our faith becomes subverted or circumvented. And listen, that's what the devil wants. The devil wants you to buy into what this world is offering because the devil is the master of that. 
Do you remember John said, love not the world, neither the things which are in the world? If any man loves the world, he said, the love of the Father is not any. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, he said, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And then listen to him. He said, the world passes away. How many people do you think in our world today? They're not thinking about their faith. They're not thinking about a relationship with God, but what they are thinking about is, how can I get more of the world's goods? How can I get more out of life and out of what the world has to offer? And the idea is they get so caught up in the here and now that they forget about eternity. There's a second factor or principle I want to call attention to. First is what I call the subversive factor. Secondly, the short-lived factor. Very simple. You and I, we've talked about it many times, and here it is. We enter this world with nothing, and the Bible says we exit this world with nothing. How long do you plan to live here on planet Earth? How long do you think that you will live as a human being? 60? 70? 80? What about 90? I read about a lady the other day that lived to be 108. Well, she had a long life, didn't she? The psalmist said we might live to be 70 or 80 years of age. But he said those years are accompanied by strength, sorrow, and labor. He said it's soon cut off, and here's what he said, and we fly away. We're not built to live here forever. The human body is not designed to live on planet earth forever. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. The truth of the matter is, you came into this world with nothing, and you're going to leave with nothing. Many, many years ago, Job had this to say, naked came I into this world, naked shall I depart. Here's what Paul said, godliness with contentment is great gain. He said, we brought nothing into this world, and it is, listen to him, certain we can carry nothing out. I was looking at a book the other night, It was a book about the treasures that were found at the burial site of King Tut. It was a very incredible find. Back in the early 1920s and mid-20s, they began exploring the contents of that tomb. And they talked about all the great treasures and all the things that they found. You know, there are a lot of people that if If you didn't know better, what you would think is all that they have is right here on planet Earth, isn't it? You can't take it with you. Some people might think they can take it with them, but let me tell you, you just can't do it. What Paul said is true. We brought nothing into this world. It's certain we can carry nothing out. Now, you think about that for a minute. Let's just say at your death, you leave behind a sizable estate. Who's going to get all your quote-unquote things? Your cash, bank accounts, CDs, savings accounts, stocks, bonds, property, all of your possessions. Who's going to get all that? I mean, they could bury it with you, I guess, but you'll never use it. Look, when people buy into the here and now, what they have to understand is 
They're buying into something that doesn't last. Nothing wrong with having things. I'm grateful for all the, the many things that we enjoy in this life and all the possessions and luxuries of life, so to speak, that we enjoy. I'm grateful for that. But what happens sometimes is people get so caught up in what they have they forget about what lies ahead. So there is this short-lived factor or principle. And then there's a third principle or factor at work. That's what I would call the satisfaction factor or principle. And the idea is simply there are people in our world today, in their heart of hearts and in their mind, they think, you know what, if I could just have this or if I could have that, if I could acquire this, if I could somehow put my hands on that, I'd be happy. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 6, labor not for the food which perishes, but for that which endures to everlasting life. There's something more than what the world has to offer. Now, I think one of the great, one of the great teaching methods is to just emphasize and re-emphasize over and over again divine truths. Sometimes it takes several times for certain truths to resonate in the lives of people. So I want to go back to the book of Ecclesiastes, and I want you to look with me at chapters 1 and 2 for a minute. Because you see, there are a lot of people in our world today, when we talk about the folly of earthly treasure, in their mind, they're looking for happiness and contentment and joy and satisfaction. The problem is they're looking in all the wrong places. And once they acquire all of these things that they're after, what they come to the, con- the conclusion they come to is, you know what? It really wasn't as great as I thought it'd be. You ever gone out? Maybe you saved. Maybe there was something very special that you wanted. So you saved and you saved and you saved and then you were able to buy it. And then you buy it. And it's great for a, a week or two and then what happens? You start wondering, why did I buy that? It's that remorse factor. Wasn't as great as I thought it'd be. Sometimes a new car is like that. You know, you want a new car, you want something that, that you've been dreaming about for a long time, then you buy it, and then after a while, guess what? It's just a car, just transportation. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, Solomon talks about some of the things that people think will make them satisfied in life, the first of which is power. And power is insatiable. The more you get, the more you want. It's like money, isn't it? You get one dollar, you want two. You get a million, you want two million. Listen to what Solomon said. I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. Solomon was the king over the United Kingdom. He followed his father David. David was a man after God's own heart. Solomon spent 20 years, 13 of which were spent building his own personal palace. 20 years in total, building his palace and the temple. And you can read about the glorious temple that he erected or built in Jerusalem. So here's this guy with all of this power. He is immensely powerful. And then look at verse 16. Not only was he powerful, but he was popular. Everybody wants to be popular, don't they? I think about young people. They want to be in the in crowd. I mean, we all want to be in the in crowd, don't we? We want to be included and not excluded. Wouldn't it be great to be a household name? I mean, you know, there are some people in our world today, you just mention their name, everybody knows about them. 
Everybody. The word Elvis Presley. You don't even have to say Presley. Just say Elvis. I don't care what country you're in. Say his name and most people by and large will know his name, won't they? Solomon said, I've communed with my heart saying, look, I've attained greatness. Was he great? Yes, he was. The Bible says the queen of the south came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, the wisdom and fame of Solomon. And her conclusion was, the half has not been told. This guy was something. And there are people today that they are so famous, so well known, they cannot go anywhere. They can't go to a movie, restaurant, sometimes can't get out anywhere in public. Well, Solomon was powerful. He was popular. And then look at verse 4. He talks about his possessions. He said, I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens, orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. He said, yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. Can you imagine going into a store? Name the store. When you walk in, if you see something that you like or you want, you tell them, bag it up. I'll take it. Solomon had that kind of money. Solomon could have had anything, and there are people like that in our world today. The Warren Buffetts, the Bill Gates. There are people today who have more money than we can wrap our mind around. Solomon had a lot of toys in life, didn't he? And then add to that his pleasures. Look at verse 10. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. He said, I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this is my reward from all my labor. Then look at verse 11. Listen to what he says in verse 11. Then I looked at all the works that my hands had done on all the labor in which I had toiled, And indeed, all was vanity and grasping for wind. There was no profit under sun, under the sun. You know what he's saying? Try to grab the wind. Step outside this building. And as the wind blows, try to grab it. Can you grasp it? It goes right through you, doesn't it? Listen, there are people in our world today, they have bought into this mentality. That that if I could somehow be powerful or popular or if I could have all kinds of toys or possessions, if I could have any and every pleasure the world has to offer, then I know in my heart of hearts I'd be happy and content and satisfied. And you know what Solomon's saying? Solomon is saying that is not true at all. That's why a lot of people who have lots of things are miserable in life. Because those things don't necessarily make you happy. Listen to verse 17. Here's Solomon. Solomon, you've got all these things. Surely you're happy. Surely you're satisfied. I mean, tell me you're content. Here's what he said. Therefore, I hated life. Amazing. He had everything, but he had nothing. 
And that's, that is the summation of a lot of people in our world today. Now, there's a second thing I want to call your attention to as we look at Matthew chapter 6. First, the folly of earthly treasures. But then secondly, focusing on eternal treasures. Listen to what Jesus said. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to know what somebody is about, in other words, if you want to know something about their heart, then look at what they do, listen to what they talk about, observe what they spend their money on. You'll know something about them. Those are telltale signs of what somebody's all about in life. Now what what Jesus is saying is that we need to develop treasures that are in heaven. And so that's going to require some things on our part. It's going to require that we show an interest in things which are in heaven. We've got to have an interest there. So what about our interest? I think first and foremost, we have to develop what I would call a heavenly mindset. How's that come about? You know, Peter said that we are strangers and pilgrims or sojourners here in this world. So how do we cultivate a spiritual mindset, a heavenly mindset? I think one of the ways that we do that is by reading the Word of God. Because you see, God's Word equips us for life and eternity, doesn't it? Paul said, listen to him. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, Set your mind on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. In Philippians chapter 3, when Paul talked about those who mind earthly things, he said, our citizenship is in heaven. Whence also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got to develop the mindset of heaven. One of the real problems of ancient Israel, they were so caught up in the here and now that in their mind they wanted, for example, the Sabbath to hurry up and get over with so they could get back to, get back, back to business. And so they lacked that spiritual mindset. And so what Jesus is saying is we've got to develop a heavenly mindset. There has to be an interest in spiritual things. It doesn't happen overnight. But we can cultivate that interest as we read and study God's Word. The Bible says draw near to God and He'll do what? He'll draw near to you. You see, God's Word helps us to understand what's important and what's really not that important. It helps to keep us grounded, anchored in life. And then I think about not just a heavenly mindset, but heavenly motivation. Could I ask ask you a question this morning? Do you want to go to heaven? You plan to go to heaven? You can't get to heaven if you don't plan for it. It's not something that's accidental. But rather, you've got to plan for heaven. All of us want to go, right? We, We want to go to heaven. We have to have motivation. This heavenly motivation. Read about heaven. Read read Revelation chapter 21. 
And see what John says about the new heaven and the new earth. He said the first heaven, the first earth had passed away. There was no more sea. He said, then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. He talked about all the blessings associated with being in that city. We're in the presence of God. We're in the presence of the Lamb. We're in the presence of other saints. It's a place that's free from death and tears and pain and sorrow and crying. He said all these former things have passed away. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, there were people who were looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Are you looking for that city? Jesus here is talking about laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to one day be in the presence of God? To be in a place that is pain-free, sorrow-free, tear-free, death-free? Don't you want to be there? So I think about we have to develop treasures in heaven, but then secondly and very quickly, we've got to deposit treasures in heaven. Now you might ask the question, how do we do that? Well, one way is by recognizing the importance of investing in heaven. If you invest money in property, you hope to get a return, don't you? If you invest money in stocks and bonds or whatever, your expectation is that you will reap a windfall. What Jesus is saying is, number one, you've got to be interested in heavenly treasures. Number two, you've got to invest in heavenly treasures. So how do you do that? Number one, you've got to invest some time. Did you know that you are you're a steward of your time? I mentioned a moment ago we might live to be 70, 80 years of age, but the psalmist said, soon cut off and we fly away. Every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every month of every year belongs to whom? Belongs to God. You've got to invest your time in spiritual things. It's an investment to read and study the Word of God. It's an investment to attend worship and to worship God. It's an investment to be involved in the work of God. You're investing in something that will not wear out or grow old. Nobody can steal it. It's a wonderful thing. You've got to invest, number one, your time. Secondly, you've got to invest your talents. Whatever talents or abilities that God has blessed you with, look, you need to use those to the glory of God, don't you? Paul said that we are God's workmanship. In other words, we're his masterpiece. We have been created in Christ Jesus under good works. So you take, you take the talents or the abilities that God has given you and you say, you know what, I'm going to use this to the glory of God. And then, what about your treasures? Think about how much God has blessed you with materially. Think about all the lavish blessings that you have that you enjoy every day. Who does it belong to? To God. Do you remember in Mark chapter 10 when a young man came to Jesus and he said, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked him, Why do you call me good? There's none good but one, God. He said, You know the commandments. Do not, he said, Do not commit adultery. Do not commit murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. This fellow said, all these I've observed from my youth up. And then Jesus said, but you still lack one thing. 
He said, go and sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor. And then here's what he said, and you'll have treasure in heaven. You mean to tell me that when I give, when I give the financial blessings that God has bestowed on me to the Lord, and I'm giving to the Lord, I'm not giving to any person but to the Lord, to His cause. When I give those financial blessings to the Lord, are you telling me that I'll have treasures in heaven? That's exactly what I'm saying. A.M. Burton, who was a benefactor, the college that I attended many years ago, he left them millions and millions of dollars. He was an extremely wealthy man. It's been said that he gave 90% of everything he made back to the Lord. Why did he do that? Because he was laying up treasures in heaven. So I want to ask you today as we close, where are your treasures? Are they, are they solely on earth or are they in heaven? You know, the beauty of Scripture is God's trying to tell us, and I want you to understand the importance of banking, not just here on earth, but in heaven. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Your anchor drift or firm remain. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.